Good morning. It's good to see you all. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 8. This morning as we worship together, beloved, God's protection of what the Lord Jesus has done in putting his blood on the mercy seat, may God grant us to hear again with the ear of faith, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. You see, beloved, we're protected under the shadow of his wings, secure in the finished saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, beloved, our Lord said, let your heart not be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. When the Lord Jesus Christ ascended back into glory, after giving his life a ransom for many, his people, the word of God, the living word of God, did not return unto God void. Rather, he took with him the names of those for whom he lived and died. He took with him his own precious blood, And he secured their salvation by the sacrifice of himself once and for all. Beloved, we're protected under the shadow of his mighty wings. That's where we flee to. We flee to Christ. We look to his glorious person and to his finished saving work for sinners. That's the message that we find Philip preaching in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto this Ethiopian eunuch, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we often do, every first Sunday of the month, we look at the Lord's ordinances, the Lord's Supper and believers' baptism. Now, my objective is not to try to to persuade someone to partake of the Lord's Supper or, for that matter, to be baptized. Rather, my aim... My objective is to encourage all of us to look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and to understand his ordinances. Now, the ordinance, ordinance we'll be looking at this morning is believer's baptism. And this ordinance that our Lord and God has given us has to do with our union with Christ. You see, baptism sets forth the hope of our salvation, beloved. Now, with your Bible open to Acts chapter 8, look again. In verse 35, this is the testimony of the Holy Spirit of a faithful minister sent of the Lord. Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Philip preached who he is and what he accomplished. Now, obviously, there was much more that Philip had to say to this eunuch than what we have recorded in Acts chapter 8. And we know that because of how the eunuch responds. Uh, Verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came unto certain water. Now, there must have been an oasis there in the middle of the desert. And as the eunuch is hearing the gospel and rejoicing in what he's hearing, he wants to identify with Christ, the Savior of God. And in God's good providence, the Lord leads them to a place where he can be baptized. Now, he doesn't just see the water and just all of a sudden say, look, here's water. Why don't I go ahead and get baptized? 
Rather, by that, he's wanting to identify with Christ as he's listening to the gospel. And then the Lord provides for him this opportunity. So as they went on their way, they came unto certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, the question that a minister most often hears is not, What hinders me to be baptized? Rather, we more often hear the question, Why do I need to be baptized? So is baptism necessary for salvation? Is is baptism necessary for salvation? I'm sure this Ethiopian had probably been involved in some sort of idolatrous ritual back in Ethiopia. And many of those pagan rituals involved some sort of washing. I mean, why didn't the eunuch say, you know, I went through a ritual in my religion, in the religion that I grew up in, And it was kind of similar to baptism. Isn't that the same? Those are the kind of questions that we usually hear when people want to talk about baptism. But oh, what delight it is. What a delight when someone says, is there anything that would hinder me to be baptized? I mean, I know I'm a eunuch. And as a eunuch, I'm powerless. I have no source of life in me. I'm impotent both physically and spiritually, would that be a hindrance to me? Oh, no, my friend. That's the very qualification to be baptized. That you're a powerless sinner, unable to save yourself. You know, I'm from Ethiopia, and that word can be rendered blackness or darkness. In Hawker's Poor Man's Dictionary, Ethiopia translated means blackness. And there's no knowledge of God there in Ethiopia. I grew up a pagan, so would that hinder me from being baptized? You see, the eunuch is not looking for an excuse not to be baptized. Rather, he's looking for any opportunity to identify with Christ. Oh no, my eunuch friend, coming out of darkness into his marvelous light is the very qualification for baptism. Well, you know I'm a Gentile, and I know you Jews refer to Gentiles as dogs. So would that disqualify me from being baptized? Oh, no, not at all. Actually, being a dog is the very thing that qualifies you to be baptized. The Lord said to that Gentile woman, the children's bread is not to be given to the dogs. And that Gentile woman said, truth, Lord, that's all I am. And so as a dog, would you just scrape a few crumbs of that bread off of your table for me? I'm down here on the ground. I'm just a dog. Remember, she said, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. Remember what Mephibosheth said? Mephibosheth said, when David fetched him and brought him back to the palace, and David said, Oh, Mephibosheth, oh, Mephibosheth. And what did Mephibosheth say? What did he say? Oh, what would the king have to do with such a dead dog as I am? 2 Samuel 9, verse 8. My friend, the fact that you're a eunuch, the fact that you're from Ethiopia, the fact that you're a Gentile dog are the very things that qualify you to be baptized. Because it means that you have nothing in yourself to offer unto God. If you're completely depending upon the one I just preached to you, to save you to the uttermost, to do all the saving, and, you know, this Ethiopian, 
might have thought, you know, I came all the way up here from Ethiopia, and I thought I was going to worship Jehovah, but there wasn't really anything in Jerusalem for me, except that I did get a copy of the scriptures, and this is the first time in my whole life that I've ever read the Bible. And I don't even really understand Hebrew very well with that lack of understanding of the of Hebrew hinder me from being baptized? What would Philip have said? Oh no, my friend, if you know who Christ is and you know what he's done, you know the Bible. For Christ is the sum and substance of the scriptures. In fact, he's the author of the scriptures and he is the subject of the scriptures. In fact, he's everything in the word of God. Indeed, the volume of the book is written of him. And so, my eunuch friend, if you believe what I just told you about the Son of God, while there may be a lot of other things in the Bible you don't understand, but my friend, that doesn't disqualify you. That doesn't hinder you to be baptized, to identify with the Son of God. And you know, maybe this Ethiopian may have thought, Philip, you actually saw the Son of God. You handled him. You heard him speak. You sat at his side. You saw his miracles. I've never had an experience like that. Does that disqualify me from being baptized? Does that hinder me? Peter said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. And John said, we handled the the word of God and we saw him when the veil of his humanity was taken away on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the radiance of his deity shined forth like the new day sun. And we were forced to the ground. We saw him. Peter, James, and John, they saw him, remember? They were up there on that mount when the transfiguration occurred, and they audibly heard the voice of God say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And you know, maybe this Ethiopian may have thought, I've never had an experience like that. Does that disqualify me from being baptized? Does that hinder me? And what did Philip say? The same thing that Peter says, Beloved, we have a more sure word of prophecy than our experience. We have the word of God that reveals the glory of Christ. Now, Philip preaches to this eunuch from Isaiah chapter 53, the clearest revelation of Christ in all of Scripture. And he tells him, My friend, if you believe on him with all your heart, thou mayest identify with Christ, thou mayest be baptized. You see, beloved, the only hindrance for baptism is unbelief. That's it. Your knowledge, your experience, your background, or whatever else you might feel is a hindrance to you, is in no way hindering you. Look at our text there in the latter part of verse 36. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Notice he didn't say, I believe I'm saved, or I believe God's done a work of grace in my heart, or I feel something different, or I've had this experience, or I've got this or that, or or even I've done this or that, none of those things. He didn't say anything like that. Rather, Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You see, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, though it often wavers, and it's always mixed with unbelief, 
Yet by God's grace, we can say from a believing, opened heart, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. You see, our faith is so fraught with our failures and our sin, and yet every child of God can say with our brother from Ethiopia, if there's anything that I believe, if I can trust my heart in anything, I know this, that one you just preached to me is the Son of God, and I believe that he's the Savior of sinners. And if I'm going to be saved, if I'm going to be delivered from my sins, I'm going to have to have him stand in my stead before God. I'm going to have to have him place his blood on the mercy seat for me. I'm going to have to be hid under the shadow of his almighty wings. I'm going to have to have him to open the eyes of my understanding. I'm going to have to have his righteousness, for I have no righteousness acceptable to God in of myself. You see, if I'm going to be saved, Christ is going to have to be all my righteousness before God. You see, this is what the Ethiopian saying. He's saying he was a wealthy man, and all of us outside of Christ vainly think that we're wealthy in our own so-called righteousness. But the reality is, left to our own righteousness, we're found in that which the Lord calls filthy rags. Remember what our Lord said? God give you grace to hear him this morning, right now. I say to you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You've got to have a righteousness that far exceeds those religious men that seem so upstanding, moral, and pious all the time. No, you've got to have a righteousness that exceeds their righteousness. And what righteousness is that, you ask? My friend, if you and I are going to stand in the presence of the thrice holy God, you and I are going to have to have the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to have to be all our righteousness before God if you and I are going to be saved. Peter put it like this, Beloved, ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb of, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. First Peter 1.18. If you and I are going to be redeemed, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to have to pay our redemption. Not almost, but to the uttermost. He's going to have to pay our redemption price. He's going to have to offer his blood on that mercy seat as a covering for my sin and yours. That's what this Ethiopian is saying by confessing. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You see, beloved, Moses wasn't able to bring the children of Israel into the promised land. Moses wasn't able to do that. And why was that? Because Moses is a picture of the law. My friend, the law can't save a man. I mean, going to the law to be saved is like going to the doctor to get more CAT scans and biopsies in the hopes that that would cure my cancer. My friend, the radiation from the CAT scans and the probing of another biopsy is only going to aggravate your cancer because those things are diagnostic. They're not curative. And so it is with the law of God. 
You see, the law is not curative. It's diagnostic. It doesn't put away sin. All it does is reveal it. By the knowledge of the law is sin revealed. You see, I didn't know I was a sinner until the law came. And so the law can't save us, and yet men go back to the law. They think, well, I'll just do better. I'll be more obedient. I'll be more faithful, and God will reward me with salvation. My friend, all you're doing by that is adding to your sin, adding to your iniquity, because the worst sin of all is self-righteousness. The worst sin of all is self-righteousness. The worst sin of all is robbing Christ of his glory in salvation and taking his glory to yourself, vainly thinking to yourself, I have a part in this. What darkness, what utter darkness. Moses couldn't bring the children of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land. And the law can't bring you into fellowship with God. You see, Joshua, Joshua had to do that. And Joshua's name means exactly the same thing as Jesus. What did this Ethiopian say? I believe the Jesus that you're preaching, Philip. I believe on the Jesus that you're preaching. What did the angel of the Lord tell Joseph? You shall call his name Jesus, Joshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's our Savior, beloved, the one who shall save his people from their sins. Who were the only two left in the entire adult tribe of Israel who had left Egypt that made it into the promised land? There was only two. Joshua. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that divided the waters at the Jordan River. And Caleb. What's Caleb's name mean? Caleb's name means a faithful dog. And in Caleb, we see the Lord's church. And she says, it's true, Lord. I'm a dog. I'm a dog, but let me be your faithful dog by your side and eat of the crumbs which fall from your table, Master. Beloved, Moses can't bring us into the promised land. Only Christ. Only Jesus can do that. Only Joshua can do that. He's the only one that has the ability to deliver us of our sin and bring us into glory. That's what, why he said, I go and prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I put my blood on that mercy seat in glory. And in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, we read there, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. It's redeeming blood. It's sanctifying blood. It's justifying blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You and I are completely dependent upon the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, offered not to us, but to our Heavenly Father. Turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 53. This is where Philip is preaching from. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Who hath believed our report? Who has believed our report? And the answer to that question is not really a question. It's an answer. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? That's who has believed the report. The ones to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed. The Lord Jesus Christ is the strong right arm of God. And he has to be revealed. The Spirit of God has to reveal him in our hearts. And when he's revealed, beloved, 
we believe. We believe. Now, obviously, the Spirit of God had revealed this to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he believed, and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You see, my friend, if I'm going to be saved, he's going to have to do it. His strong right arm is going to have to be my Redeemer. Verse 2, Isaiah 53, verse 2. For he shall grow up before him. Now the he is Christ. The him is the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ grew up before God the Father. Verse 2. As a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You see, the natural man has no interest in Christ. And because of that, God has to give us a heart of faith before we come to him. There's no form or comeliness in him. There's no beauty in him. We have no desire for him. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Now we esteem ourselves but left to ourselves, we don't esteem Christ unless the Lord gives us the heart of faith to esteem Christ. Verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our so-called righteousnesses, for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. We are healed, beloved. All of our sins sins have been put away, all of them. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what we, what we are, beloved, wayward sheep. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, we read in Scripture, but the end thereof are the ways of death. What's the way that seems right unto a man? Just to go our own way, to work our way to heaven. Verse 7, He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he was, and, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet here's the Lord Jesus Christ, as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God burying the sins of his people on Calvary's cross. And notice, he didn't say he bare all the sins of all men. Rather, it says he bore the sins of his people. And God saw what he did, and it pleased the Lord. Verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall pro prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. The Father will see the result of what the Lord Jesus did in satisfying the demands of God's justice. And he sees his church, which is his seed, and the Father shall see, verse 11, the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. 
By his knowledge shall my righteous servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. The Father shall see the the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Beloved, the Ethiopian eunuch, after hearing this passage preached about the Lord Jesus Christ, came to this conclusion. I'm satisfied with the one that God is satisfied with. I don't want to add anything to him or take anything away from him. He is all and he's in all. And if he doesn't do all the saving, I have no hope of salvation. I believe that he bore the sins of his people. And now notice the eunuch didn't say, I believe he bore my sins. You see, here's what faith is. Faith is not having absolute confidence that the Lord Jesus Christ bore all of your sins. Faith is having confidence that the only hope that you have of your sins being taken up, of taken away is that he did bear them. I've got no other place, no other person to go with, with my sin problem than to the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Because if he didn't bear my sins away, then I have no hope of salvation. I believe Jesus, for he shall save his people. I believe he was successful in saving his people. And I believe the only hope I have of being one of his people is to believe that he's the successful, sovereign savior of sinners, because that's all I am. He's the Christ. And notice, in effect, this is what the Ethiopian is saying. I believe that Jesus is the Christ of God. I believe that he's the anointed one. I believe that he's the Messiah. I believe that God sent him into the world to save sinners. Now, in this portion, we read here how that Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And look there with me, beginning in verse 16. And the Lord Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet, Isaiah chapter 61. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were, with, were, that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Verse 21. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Beloved, he's the anointed one. He came with the full power of the Spirit of God and that there was no way that he could fail. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, we read there, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. This is the Father speaking of his Son, the Christ. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. 
You see, my friend, the Lord Jesus Christ is not looking for a following. He's not going around begging men to let him into their hearts, pleading with men to let him have his way, or saying, I want to save you, but won't you please let me? Not at all. We read in the rest of that passage in Isaiah 42, verse 3, A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. There's the sinner. Lord, that's me. I'm just a bruised reed. I'm a smoking flax. Lord, don't put me out. And the prophet continues, He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he hath set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. Did you hear that, beloved? He shall not fail. Remember the woman at the well? She was a half Jew and she only had the first five books of the Bible as the Samaritans only believed in the books of Moses. And yet she knew from those first five books that God had promised to send a Messiah. And what would be the result of the Messiah coming? The woman at the well said, Sir, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And the Lord Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And so even that woman at the well knew that when Messiah came, that he was going to make everything right and that all Israel was going to be saved. All Israel. And Romans chapter 11 makes it absolutely clear that the Lord Jesus Christ is that Messiah. And, and beloved, not one single member of spiritual Israel can possibly be lost. And why is that? Because, beloved, he's the fulfillment of that promise that was made all the way back in the garden, all the way back through the scriptures. The serpent is going to bruise the heel of the man of God, and he's going to crush the head of that serpent. The seed of the woman was, was not Cain. You know, that when Eve gave birth to Cain, she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, if by this expression, Eve meant to say that this was the God-man, which was promised to bruise the serpent's head, how wrong she was to say that of Cain. You see, the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent was not Cain. He was a murderer. No, the seed of the woman was the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. And our Heavenly Father saw the travail of his soul, and he was satisfied. You see, the Father sent his Son to save his people, and that's exactly what he did, beloved. And though religious people use the name Jesus Christ all the time, but they don't even believe what his name means. And so when this Ethiopian said, I believe, in effect he was saying, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the successful Savior of sinners, the deliverer of his people. Philip, the one that you just preached to me from Isaiah 53, who bore our iniquities, and when God saw the travail of his soul, God was satisfied. Philip, I believe that he's the Son of God. He's the sovereign, successful Savior of his people, the omnipotent, never-failing Son of God. And the chariot was stopped, and they got down, and Philip baptized him. Let's go back to our text and look at that in verse 38. Acts 8, verse 38. And the eunuch commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, baptism is not a complicated thing. To be, to be, to be, to be certain, it's not complicated. 
And most certainly, it's not something that you do because you've reached, you know, a certain level of spiritual maturity before you qualify for it. Rather, simply put, baptism is the very first step of obedience that a believer takes in following after Christ. That's all it is. It's identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as the only hope of your salvation. It's saying that he is my life. His death is my death. His resurrection is my resurrection. His ascension into glory is my ascension into glory. That's what we're saying through through baptism. That his life is my life. His death is my death. His resurrection is my resurrection. His ascension into glory is my ascension into glory. Christ, who is my life, is my hope of glory. And all the hope of my salvation is bound up in who he is and what he accomplished. Beloved, the Lord has commanded us to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. Amen. Now notice that baptism is the first thing, because there's much growth and things to be learned after baptism. But baptism is the believer saying, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and if I'm going to be saved, he's going to have to save me. Mark uh, chapter 16, verse 16 declares, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now hold on, preacher. Are you saying that baptism is required for salvation? Is that what I'm saying? Not at all. Now, I've heard this from several faithful men, and it's true. You can mark it down. God has written his word in such a way as to give those who don't believe it just enough rope to hang themselves. You see, unconverted men will make a work out of baptism, and they think that baptism saves Well, oh, no, it doesn't. It does not save. But I will tell you this. I want you to believe on Christ. I want everyone in this auditorium to believe on Christ. You know, that jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? Remember the faithful answer of God sent men? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. You see, I want you to believe on Christ because... I know that if you believe on Christ, (laughs) you'll want to be baptized. You'll want to identify with him. Identifying with him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You see, to say that you believe on Christ, now hear me, to say that you believe on Christ but not want to identify with him, what did our Lord say to that? He said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. Do you suppose that thief on the cross would have been baptized? Had he had the opportunity to be baptized, I'm certain that he would have. Just like our brother from Ethiopia, he would have said, What doth hinder me to be baptized? 
If thou believest with all thine heart that Jesus is Christ is the Son of God, thou mayest. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and I'll begin reading there in verse 9. For in him, the Lord Jesus Christ, for in the Lord Jesus Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's what it means to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the fullness of deity in the body of a man. Verse 10, and beloved, ye are complete in him. My friend, if we are in him, then we are complete. Everything that God requires of you and me, the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers. There he is. There's the Son of God. God's given him the preeminence. He reigns over the living and over the dead. He's God, and he is the sovereign, successful Savior of his people. Verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Here's the work of the Spirit in the heart. It's God giving us faith to believe on Christ. It's the circumcision of a heart the Lord opens. Lord, I'm nothing. I'm just nothing but flesh. I've got nothing but sin. I must have Christ. Verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. I must be found in Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says, Buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Beloved, we are buried with Christ. We were buried with Christ in baptism. And not just left buried, beloved. We were raised to walk in new life, a new life in Christ Jesus. Baptism is the new believer saying, just like the eunuch in our portion, is there anything that hinders me? I want to be baptized. I've been thinking about this whole This the whole time we've been going through the desert, looking everywhere for water. You've been preaching to me, and I want to be baptized. Is there anything to hinder me? Well, do you believe? (laughs) Do you believe? That's the only hindrance to being baptized. It's not believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the only hindrance. Oh, no, I believe, preacher. I believe everything you just preached to me. And they stopped the chariot and they went down into the water, both of them. And he baptized him. And our brother publicly professed his faith by demonstrating physically his hope of being found in Christ alone. And so, my dear brother, my dear sister, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest be baptized. Amen.